fashion, join a procession, the truth and the beauty. Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Catholic with Father Scott Lawler. As we normally do, let's start with the prayer for the canonization of Bishop Frederick Barriga. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, thank you for the life and holiness of your servant, Frederick Barriga. I pray you will honour him by the title of saint. He dedicated himself completely to mission activity to make you known, loved, and served by the people who you love. As a man of peace and love, Barriga brought peace and love wherever he travelled. Lord, grant venerable Bishop Barriga the grace of beatification. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So, today I'm following up from something that um, promised that I would do um, ages ago when I met with one of the people who is going to be on today's program. Um, We're going to to talk about Catholic education. This is going to probably be a two-parter, at least. I sometimes say that and end up doing three hours and things. Um, in order to, to try to talk about what is the the problems with education. And, and I know, um, having lived on both sides of, of the Atlantic, that the problems that I hear from these three men that I'm with um, are very, very, very similar to the problems that we have uh, in America um, to do with Catholic education. How do you trust Catholic schools and what went wrong, etc. Um, so that's what we're going to try and touch upon. Um, most of you are parents or grandparents, and you often will say that, well, I sent my children to a Catholic school and they don't practice Mass. I don't know what happened. And I sadly often say to people, uh, not humorously, that uh, that might have been the problem. So I'm not, it's not about Catholic school bashing because some of our schools are. are Excellent, and if I think Father Simon, when we get to him, we'll be able to talk about the the change in the school that he deals with, and how just having a different head teacher made it a lot more palatable to and and can start to do Catholic things. Um, and I think my other two guests can probably talk about schools that go awry, since they both had um, experience of without naming an uh, institute that was doing good work and then went a bit amiss. So, um, so to start with, I have three people in front of me. I have Mr. Matthew Jackson, my brother, Father Mark Lawler, and um, Father Simon Henry, who is known to you all. And if you're looking back, um, if you want to hear extensive interview with uh, Father Simon on the, on the archive.org catalogue, it's episodes 66 and 67. Um, so we'll start with sort of a bit of a bio from all the guys. So we'll go with uh, Matthew first. Matthew, thank you for doing this. This is something that spoke with Father Simon about doing a year and a half ago or something. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit difficult to get you all together, as we'll find out, since everybody lives in different countries. But tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would. Thank you, Father Scott. It's good to be here to speak about Catholic education. I'm relatively young as a head teacher, 37 years old, uh, running a school in France uh, for the last three or four years. And, and uh, being a Catholic school is very, very important. And that fits in with my own uh, personal and professional experience throughout life. Uh, I'm from uh, a small 
town in the northwest of England called Wigan, next to Manchester, so in the northwest. Uh, it's uh, part of the industrial heartland, or at least was, of the United Kingdom. Mm. People uh, may have heard of it because of George Orwell. George Orwell's 19th century treatise, The Road to Wigan Pier, yeah. really looked into the plight of the working class and the bad conditions. I think really my own personal experience has been born out of that, I suppose. My family, half of them are Irish immigrants coming across uh, 200 years ago to uh, to mainland England. And that influenced, I think, within the melting pot of working class Northwest, uh, a lot of, of how we approach religion and how within a family structure that really uh, the faith is transmitted through both education and exposure to formal education in a school. And I'm very fortunate that I had a very positive experience in a mixed comprehensive school. Uh, Which is a what? What is that? So that means that uh, we have boys and girls uh, co-educational, so they study together and often study together from the age of six all the way through until 18. Why is it called comprehensive? It's uh, really part of the educational reforms of the 1970s, 1980s, looking at providing a broad-scale approach to education rather than being specific on uh, subjects. Classical education, for example, focus more on languages and literature uh, and the sciences, whereas a comprehensive is to give a broad-range view of, of education, leading up to British examinations, so the general certificate in secondary education, the GCSE, which is the diploma that everybody in England and Wales gets at the age of 16 years old, really is to test on the 12 competencies uh, that are highlighted by the government as being thing that young people should know in order to set them up for further higher education. And was that a Catholic school? It was. So St Cuthbert's, the patron of, of our parish, so uh, the parochial school here, uh, in in the uh, the parish of where I was born, and so I did my education in that school from the age of six through until eleven, and then at eleven I moved on to secondary school, which was a school at the other side of the town, uh, quite academically focused, called St John Fisher, uh, the patron being St John Fisher, sure. uh, a wonderful advisor to Henry VIII and martyred for the faith uh, during the Reformation. And that feeds into a bit of the cultural history of, of the Catholic history, certainly of the region where I live, where I was brought up. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because you've got the blood of the martyrs seeped into the soil. Without doubt. And I think that during the Reformation, certainly uh, when we look at Sir John Rigby and others who uh, were part of the recusant, uh revival here of the faith and, and uh, protection of the faith, the maintenance of the faith during periods of of persecution, uh, that as part of my childhood was very, very uh, dear to us. And that was taught to us from an early age to understand, to respect and to be aware of our history. Really? And uh, without doubt, uh, yeah. under- an understanding of... of by, by the clergy or by the school or both? Or, uh, or by family? By clergy and by family. Uh, so a lot of the parish priests that I had growing up, certainly in my earlier years, were usually Irish or of Irish descent. And so uh, a, a particular view of the faith was transmitted to us as we were growing up, as the boys were encouraged to be altar servers, as we were encouraged to explore vocation. Uh, understanding the rich history of our Catholic faith was incredibly important. Um, after uh, I completed... So do you, sorry, do you think that still goes on? 
Um, overwhelmingly, I would say no. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll get to that, I guess. Um, okay. So after school, after school, I uh, was encouraged and encouraged, in fact, by Father Simon and Father Mark, who are here today, uh, to explore a little bit uh, of, of Catholic Europe. And so I spent several months touring France, visiting various major monasteries throughout France and also here in England before entering on a period of, of discernment that lasted just over a year in a Benedictine monastery uh, with a more traditional observance. And what, what was the timetable for that? What time in the morning did you go? Huh. It was. It depended, actually. Um, but for because for the one us, I was in, we got up at four four thirty in the morning. So. Not as early. We were up at five forty-five. So five forty-five for for matins and lords, and then the day uh, followed followed a very traditional monastic Benedictine uh, timescape timetable of terse mass, sext known, uh, lunch, then in the afternoon manual work and study. And the evenings, uh, vespers, dinner, and more manual work, and then complet. Mm. Okay. Then the manual silencium. So we yeah. had so the benefit of eight and a half hours. Of after time. a year, 18 months or something? Was that 18 like? months in the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I was there before simple profession. Uh, I discerned uh, with my uh, spiritual director and others, um, that, and the novice master, that this perhaps wasn't uh, the vocation for me, mm. the monastic life. And so I uh, made the transition from being in, uh, an enclosed Benedictine monastery to going to university in London. Okay, so, so what was that? Well, yeah, I was going to say, what was that? That was, that was quite a thing, then. not it? It was a, a, quite a big cultural shock, I think, uh, leaving what was uh, a very specific environment of contemplation and prayer and silence in the rural setting of Farnborough, uh, which is in the south, not too far away from London, but very isolated Uh and sometimes isolating, uh, to be in the centre of London in a very large, uh, bustling environment that was full of noise, that was full of... Now, the monastery you were in, um, the charism of that, it wasn't, didn't have a school and things, what was so... It was no, so to live the life. Exactly. Was. So there are several versions of um, the Benedictine observance, mm mainly, again, formed out of the Reformation. So the English Benedictines, the charism charism of English Benedictines was that uh, they would come back to England and Wales and they would teach the faith. And so they set up schools. So in the United Kingdom, we have big monastic schools, or add at least until recent times, uh, providing a wonderful Catholic education uh, for, for Catholic families here in, in England and Wales. The monastery that I was involved in was part of the Subiaco congregation from Italy, who obviously didn't have the same type of reformation of the faith, um, although in Italy they did. Um, and so their charism really was to keep as closely as possible to the rule of St. Benedict and to live a contemplative life. Before, before we move on, because this movie is big news just now, there was a Bonaparte connection, wasn't there? There was, uh, but a, a, a different Bonaparte. Yes. Uh, yeah. So not Napoleon I and Napoleon Bonaparte, this was uh, a monastery that was founded uh, and built, in fact, by Empress Eugenie of France, who was the wife of Napoleon III um, during the uh, late part of the 19th century, when Catholics were expelled again from France. Um, the After Napoleon III had been ousted from his position as Emperor of France, he took refuge here in Royal Leamington Spa, 
um, before falling ill, and his wife started uh, building a uh, a house for them to live called Farnborough Hill, which is a magnificent nineteenth um, century manor house, I suppose. And the architect that she employed there was a an architect called Gabriel Destayer, who re- he was really focused on religious architecture. That was his main thing. But he did this wonderful Gothic revival house uh, for them to live in. Uh, during the time of it being built, uh, her son, Louis Napoleon, uh, who had at that time begged her good friend, Queen Victoria, to be uh, part of the uh, British forces overseas. Um, and he was killed uh, overseas wearing a British uniform. Uh, he died. South uh, Africa? South Africa. Yeah. He died a, a valiant death, apparently, that his the spear holes went into his chest rather than his back, indicating that he faced those who killed him rather than running away. Um, and so his body was repatriated back to England, and being in exile, Eugenie uh, 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 commissioned Destayer to build a, a mausoleum, which encompassed both a church, a crypt, and a monastery building. And so she built that, and then the bodies of Louis Napoleon and Napoleon III are, and now Empress Eugenie, and now in the crypt of uh, Sir Michael's Abbey Farnborough and the uh, the tombs in which they placed the sarcophagi were paid for and designed uh, at the bequest of uh, Queen Victoria. Okay. Anyway, so thank you for that. But, um, then you went to study... So in London, I did my undergraduate and postgraduate qualifications there. I studied at Queen Mary um, under Professor Peter Hennessy, was my supervisor for five years. I studied... Uh, political history and economics, uh, the formation of Europe from 1890 through until 1997. Okay. Uh, my specialism being on Margaret Thatcher and uh, economic reform and civil service reform uh, in the 1970s, 1979 to 1982. So very specific focus, um, my interest being around both history, um, but also uh, contemporary politics and understanding how we end up in a position where we are now in society when so many changes, seemingly quite radical, were supposed to have come out of the 1960s and 70s. And in fact, we find, us, find ourselves, just as with Catholic education, in a circular right. uh, a circular situation where things yeah. just happen over and over and over again. And uh, presumably you also had to look at methodology of change. Without doubt, certainly looking at... Uh, Which is always a problem, trying to change things. There's an impossibility... because there's so many vested interests of people who want to protect themselves, uh, protect the status quo, and are reluctant often. And we're definitely probably going to touch upon that when we get to uh, talking about Catholic education. Without doubt. Yes. So you qualified with a BA and MA? Uh, Yes, uh, so uh, BA honours and then my MA. I was sponsored by Hewlett Packard Enterprises, a good American company. Uh, Out of 2,000 applicants, they chose uh, four to complete an MA in uh, contemporary history and politics and to, f- to be part of a, uh, a think tank uh, which brought together practitioners of government, of business and of education to speak about what was going on in the world of, uh, of politics encompassing everything, including educational policy uh, in the UK. So that, that was my first introduction, I suppose, to education policy was in my postgraduate and looking at what was going on in 2010, 2011 in the UK at a time just before significant changes came in in 2015. So it was the precursor 
of the development of the modern curriculum that we see now in the years. Okay, all right, so we'll probably leave it there because we can get back to when we talk about Catholic education, how you manage, how from being theoretic you went into the, the very much the, the, the practical aspect of that. Okay, thank you. So, turning to Father, Father Mark. Um, Father Mark. <clears throat> Hello, well, I'm Father Scott's older brother, only by a couple of years. And we grew up in uh, the west of Scotland, in in Glasgow. And I went to the same school as Father Scott, which was a, a junior seminary. But we went out to a local high school, much like the one that, uh, that Matthew described back in the 70s. Catholic schools were still, certainly in the west of Scotland, which was quite like the way Matthew described the northwest of England. That a lot of uh, Irish immigrants, our own family, for example, were the same as Matthew's uh, Irish immigrants, and there was still a, a, a culture of of proper Catholic education. Schools were still Catholic. The primary schools were funded Catholic. differently from England, though, isn't it? Well, or was I don't know if it still is. Well, there's kind of uh, they're completely funded by the government in England and Wales. Schools are most Catholic primary schools and secondary schools. That's uh, junior schools and high schools. Um, are part funded by the government, but some of the some of the funding has to come from the the diocese in Scotland. That's what they do in America. Yes, yeah, so yeah. in Scotland, the, the the agreement Scotland has a different legal system. It's still, a, it, although it's part of the United Kingdom, there's still hold diff, there's certain differences, and the settlement was that the the state would pay entirely for the Catholic schools. The only problem with that was. We ended up then with all they would where we went to Father Scott and I went to school. Uh, there was an old school had been built in the thirties and it was the local state school. Uh, when they built a new school, they didn't build a new Catholic school. They built a new school, made it the state school, and gave the old school as the Catholic school. So and that is very universally what happened is we ended up with a kind of second tier of buildings and that's right because um, we had a we had a um, air raid. Silent on the roof of our school. <laughs> so, but the, but schools were still very Catholic. Teachers were Catholic. Uh, in fact, in Scotland, teachers, if a teacher got divorced, for example, they would they would have to leave the school. They would not be allowed. When we were young, yeah. back in the seventies and, and, and we, in the eighties, and we would have seen teachers at mass. Oh yes, well, well. we would, we we would. Uh, when Father Scott and I were at junior school, so in the 1970s, late 60s to the 70s, we would have gone to the, the children's mass at the parish. Our, our, the church we grew up in, in the outskirts of Glasgow, they had mass at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and then half past 9, I think it was, at it was, night. It was. Uh, so we had those, and all those masses were full. The 10 o'clock mass was the children's mass, and you were expected to sit in your class, sit with your class, and the teacher would sit with you. Uh, so teachers all came to, to Mass with their class. I suspect there's nowhere in the entire United Kingdom where that would happen. Well, I don't suspect it. I know there's nowhere in the entire United Kingdom where that would happen. Uh, so, And then when, when I got to the age of 12, I went to a junior seminary, which is the same one that Father Scott went to, and we went out, we, we lived in this, the junior seminary, but we went out to the local high school, which again was very Catholic. The headmaster, all the teachers, very Catholic. We had mass next door and there was a church next door attached to the school. 
We went to Mass on Holy Days. Uh, the RE was compulsory. It was very Catholic education. The church was particularly ugly, though. Oh, it was a horrible 1970s. It looked like a, a an abattoir or a, a meat packing plant. But uh, but we were. It was a proper Catholic school. Which, when I consider when when I was ordained in 90, 1996, and I became the chaplain to a very very large high school in in Leeds in the north of England, the diocese I'm in is the diocese of Leeds, which it is West Yorkshire, which is in the north of England. I was chaplain to a huge high school, uh, two thousand pupils, I think, at that time, which which in, for a Catholic school in in Britain was quite big. There was it was a completely different world. I hadn't been in a high school since I'd been in high school, and it was a completely different world. The 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 headmistress at the time wasn't a Catholic. The most of the staff were not Catholic. There was no mass. The people did not go to church. Uh, there were complaints made about me the very first day I went into the school because I was wearing a cassock. Staff went to the head and, and complained about the way I was dressed. So it was a completely different world. And how, how the world had changed in, in 20 years. And uh, we, we can, as we move on, we can yeah. revisit those things. Okay. So, yes, so, oh, no, talking so, about biography. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I was, uh, when I was in my 20s, I went to a college in, in Oxford, which had been founded in the 19... 20s after the Great War, as by a priest called Father Plater, a Jesuit, as the Catholic Workers College. All these people, all these young men who had taken part in in the Great War and suddenly uh, felt that they 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 needed some more Catholic education. So, so he founded this college, and it was really about the social teaching of the Church based upon the encyclicals, Rerum Novarum, etc. By the 1980s, when I went there, this had changed. It was now called Plater College, named after the founder, because they, even by then, they had stood, they, they were wary of something called the Catholic Workers College. I was, I was just going to ask you about that because the Catholic Workers Movement in America was about 20 years before that. Mm. Was this as a residual of this? Sort of, except it was more about, uh, the, I think what happened is that, that the the people coming out of the First World War realised that the world was changing. Socially, it was changing. It's the rise in, in Britain, as Matthew would correct me, but there's really the rise of the labour movement uh, in in uh, in politics because the world had changed and the, the Catholic figures like Father Plater responded to that, saying, well, if the world's changing, we need our, our lay people need to change with it. They need to understand why why is... What do we do about uh, the the rise of Bolshevism, for example? How do we understand? So, so teach the churches social teaching. Right about when the feast of Christ the King was inaugurated as well. The, but that all was the, Pius the twelfth. Yeah, but all that the uh, Pius eleventh. But all that that rise of dictatorships, the man, everything being anthropocentric, the man's the center of these things. Yes, but it was more just about how how do you deal with. Uh, the social the social climate in a Catholic way, and if people don't know about the social teaching of the church, because face it, it's quite dry, and presumably priests weren't preaching about the social teaching of the church. So, so this college was founded to to deal with that. By the time I went there, it was no longer called the Catholic Worker. They're still teaching social social teaching 
of the church. Um, those were, there were several compulsory elements to the, it was a two year diploma from, uh, which was, which was uh, validated by Oxford University. Uh, so there was, there were certain parts you had to, you had to study the social teaching of the church. You had to study various other Catholic, uh, Catholic elements. And then there were other elements which were aimed at practical things for people who wanted to become teachers. For example, there were elements of, of, uh, of that. When I finished that, I, I went to a, a into a, a religious community in England, but they were founded in America, uh, in New Mexico, and I spent my novitiate in New Mexico in the late eighties. You learned to drive in America. I did, yes, yes. And when I when I came back here to to England, uh, after I left the monastery, uh, I immediately came back, flew back, and joined the diocese of Leeds. Uh, as a seminarian, and they decided to send me to university before going to seminary. So they sent me to the the local university of Leeds. Now Leeds is, a, is what we call a red brick university, which means those universities that were not founded in the Middle Ages, but were began in the Renaissance of of, edu- of religious of uh, secular uh, tertiary education, and Leeds is one of the the first of those, but the college that I went to had been a teacher training college belonging to the diocese. It was called uh, All Saints College, and it had now become a college of the university. So it was still technically a Catholic university college that belonged to the diocese. That's why they sent me there, presumably, because it didn't cost them any money. So I went there, and I was studying. It was still a teacher training college, and so I was doing a theology degree there, and I was shocked by the, at the, even then in the late eighties, I went, I, I went there in 89 and I graduated with my degree in 92. And even then I was shocked by what was being taught to future Catholic teachers who were supposed to be teaching in Catholic schools. If they were not doing RE, if they were not planning to be RE teachers, they did not have to study any religion at all. And if they were studying to be, if they did want to be RE teachers, then the only thing they studied was a thing called religious studies, which had compulsory units on this, the five pillars of Islam and other nonsense, uh, Buddhism and, and, and all sorts of, you know, you may as well have, have had some Wiccans in there, which they probably did eventually. Uh, and, and as I, I was there for those three years, and of course it was also the diocese in which I was ordained, so I was close to that institution for many years, and it just got worse and worse and worse over the last uh, 25 years. When I was there, uh, I lived there, and I lived in the chaplaincy, and there was a resident priest chaplain who was also the vocations director, which is why anyone who, who came to, to the diocese would live with the vocations director for a while and go to this uh, university. But we had mass every day, we had Vespers, we had uh, benediction. It was still very Catholic even in the in the 80s. But by the time by the time we get to, say, the year 2009 was, was when I uh, actively left the Diocese of Leeds, by then they had, they had a part-time chaplain and a lay chaplain and and a, a Muslim prayer room, and all the, the whole the world had, had broken through into. I could just into, remind us: this is in a supposedly 
an educational facility for training Catholic teachers. That belongs to the diocese. Yes, so that that most likely, unless you know for sure, started having Muslims being taught to teach in Catholic schools. Well, no, because they were they were by then they wouldn't be they'd just be training to be teachers. But right. by that time, who, okay. you, they were just getting tr- so it's really no difference. B- bachelor's yeah. degrees in in education, right. okay, and it stopped worrying about. Tra- That's what I was saying about when I when I first went there. They were no longer, you no longer had to be training to be a Catholic teacher, even though technically that's still what the school was doing, but you didn't have to do a, a, a part that, that enabled you to teach. Okay, so we'll definitely revisit that as we go on yeah. to the, the demise of Catholic education. So you finished that? Well, I finished that and in 92 I went to Rome to, to the seminary and was ordained in, uh, 2000, uh, no, in 1996, uh, and my, one of my first jobs, I was a curate in a in a parish, which had a primary school, a, a junior school, which I was involved in, which was very good, uh, but again had a very Catholic head, uh, and and in those days and probably still now, the the key thing to a primary school is who's leading it. If if the priest is involved and is and wants to be involved, and if the the head teacher is a good sound Catholic, it will be a good Catholic school. They used to say that, what's that about the, at the Reformation? As the prince goes, so do the people go. Yes, kind of, yes, it's yeah, true. That's leadership, the, yeah. So uh, so that was very good, but I was also the, the part-time chaplain to the high school I mentioned, the big high school in, in the middle of, of Leeds, so I had to drive in there. And that was just a shocking place to be, uh, and I think we'll leave it there so we can go to Father Simon cause, because that also, like we finished with Matthew, sets us up for what the realities are. But, but just so, so people are aware, much of what you studied then is what is the same things that teachers would have been studying. Well, in that first degree that I did in, yes, in, in Leeds yes. was, was uh, basically that teacher training right. degree. Yeah. And then when I went to Rome, I did a, a theology degree. Yes, well, but so, but when you're, so, so when you're talking it with, the first time, yes, yeah, when we're talking about the environment of what should happen in classrooms or whatever. You know that which of you're talking because you basically were trained as a teacher, as an RE teacher yes, as well. Yes, yes. Um, history and RE were, from, the, were the two from choices. later, but also from Leeds. Yes, so um, you're able to get an idea. You know what is supposed to be conveyed. And what they were subjected to, because you were subjected to those things as well, but were peripheral to it, but but engaged in it. Yes. Okay. I mean, okay. <laughs> just to tell one anecdote of how bad things were. In near the end of this of this degree course, we we were looking at the Reformation, and and some girl who was going to be an RE teacher in a Catholic school raised her hand and said, "I'm very confused. We keep jumping around from the 15th century, 1500s to the to the." To the the 1960s, I just don't understand, because she had no grasp that there was a, such a person as Martin Luther. When you said the words Martin Luther to her, she only thought of Martin Luther King. That was all she knew. She didn't know anything about Martin Luther. But no, she didn't not know it because she, because he was a Protestant. She didn't know it because she didn't know any hist- any church history or any theology, or and yet she was going to be let loose on our children. Yeah. Okay. So, last but by no means least is Father, Father Simon, um, who, as I say, 
um, episodes 66 and 67 are about his path, and we did talk about there about his extensive experience in education. So rather than Simon, Father Simon go through his whole bio again, um, we didn't really touch upon just how extensive his, his chaplaincy with schools are. So if you could give that to his father, um, just how many years, what different kinds of schools, and um, and then that'll set us up for you could then carry on talking about the good you've seen, the bad you've seen. We'll get the other two involved in that as well. Um, and what what a Catholic education really should be, so what the expectations are. So um, tell us about your experience in Okay, thanks Father Scott, it's great to be back with you and uh, to speak to everyone um, across in America again. Um, yeah, just to uh, recap, I'm now 32 years ordained and in all the parish placements I've been on in, in, in various parts of the uh, Archdiocese of Liverpool in the northwest of England, I've um, always been chaplain to a school either at, uh, for, for younger kids at primary junior level um, high school or at a sixth form college that I was um, uh, from 16 to 18 before they go on to university possibly um, as, as well. So always in some uh, some form that's been part of my right. ministry and for three years I was a full-time chaplain as well at a high school and uh, another two schools and a sixth form college as well. So that's always been there as, as part of my And this has been ministry. in different parts of the of the diocese as well so some of it's been rural some of it's been urban schools um mostly urban um most yeah, mostly urban really small small medium-sized towns um my first placement my first place as parish priest in charge of the parish not just as an assistant uh, was in wigan where Matthew, who was speaking before, mm. uh, that's where he was still a young lad and an altar server for me. Um, so that's where we we first met those those many years ago. Um, and the school there, still when I was uh, there, the, the 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 junior school, the primary school that he went to, was still very good, still very Catholic. I was in it every day. The boys came over to serve mass each day, or they'd come to serve the f- to serve funeral masses. Um, I was in there every day doing something with the school. The head was a practicing Catholic. Most of the teachers were practicing Catholics, and that's what does make the difference, really. Mm-hmm. That in some schools, if the head is there, it's like you're saying before about the leadership. Um, that. That does. That's what makes the difference, really. Um, in my own parish here, I think we touched on it perhaps last time I was speaking. Um, though there's a just school here in the parish that was completely separate from the parish. It had gone its own way uh, because the the head at the time just didn't want the sort of Catholicism that I wanted to <laughs> to try and bring to it. Now got a new head. He's a proper practicing Catholic. Um, speaks about the faith to the children um, very easily and very enthusiastically. Yeah, could you just um, repeat the what he did about Advent and Christmas to the children, just specifying? 
Yeah. So, so, just, so without just, without you having told him that's what you had yeah. been talking about. Yeah. He then or he actually. Yeah, just a very simple thing. Last last week in in a, in, a, in assembly where the parents the parents come once a week to the assembly as well, and he's hasn't put their hands up. Who's got their Christmas tree up? And of course, ninety percent of the hands went up. They had their Christmas tree up. And he spoke about that. Yes, but spoke. You know, Christmas is coming, but this is not Christmas. This is Advent. Christmas doesn't happen till Christmas. So that left an opening for me then when I was getting up to do my bit to say, yes, and when does Christmas start? When you've come to Mass on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Because a lot of them are not, um, although it's the Catholic school, a lot of the families do not practice. They still have a connection with the faith. They want to send their children to a Catholic school. They want them to be baptised. They want them even to make their first Holy Communion. Uh, they're very happy for them to have prayers every day in their classroom, to have a proper religious assembly, to have religious images around the school. But it's a sort of residual thing. They're not necess- A lot of them are not are not practising. But I think that Okay, so I've opened this up to any one of you who wants to talk about this. So the Catechism says the primary educators in the faith are the parents, right? So you're all involved in education. Um, if it's not reinforced at home, there's a limit to what a school can do, isn't there? There is a, a huge limit because, again, I'm in the school um, here in the parish quite a lot, so I have a good relationship with the children. If we try and arrange something for them to take part in on a, for a Sunday Mass, say, or occasionally some special thing, the kids are willing, but when the school contact the parents to say, will you bring them on Sunday, it falls through very often because the parents won't even commit to that, even though the kids are open. Yeah, and, I, and that is also the experience, in, certainly in the part of America I'm in, that is a predominant experience that the it's almost like a missed generation. It is, and it's very it's very frustrating because the staff are encouraging the kids. I'm encouraging them. Um, the kids want and the to kids do might it. be asking. That's the, the thing. Kids isn't want it? The kids might be asking. Yes, but the parents won't. Uh, they're they're the weak link. Okay, I think the obverse is also true. I think that if uh, if the families are practicing and the school isn't, I think you have the same disconnect in education. Oh, sure. The primary responsibility, obviously, and the bishops of England and Wales, uh, 20 years ago, put out an exceptional document on Catholic education and the expectations. It was very clear, very faithful to the teaching of the church, but the responsibility being on families first and foremost, and the schools are there to help with the formation, Mm. academic and spiritual. And I think if there is a spiritual formation at home, a cultural awareness at home, but then that's not backed up at the school, that can often undermine the faith quite significantly as well. I've seen that with young people. Well, it, it definitely happens. Matthew, Matthew's uh, sister has this problem, uh, bringing the children up properly at home in a good Catholic manner and then sending them to a school where they're expected to listen to uh you know, transsexuals and God knows what coming in to speak to them. And this is in a Catholic school. Yes, in a Catholic school. Yeah. So and 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 as good a good Catholic mother, she doesn't want that, and then she becomes the the bogeyman. This is another problem: is that if you in many of our schools, certainly in in England and Wales, 
one of the the difficulties is if people are being if they're good practicing Catholics at home and they come in, the teachers or the headmaster or the local education authority or even the priest or the bishop will say no 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 we, we because we don't want to exclude little Johnny who's a whose parents are pagans we don't want to you know we can't we can't have them all coming to uh, to to mass because what about those who who don't want to go to mass well, and the, and so the 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 catholic principles are become secondary to to some kind of wokeism which says that everyone must be catered to and everyone gets catered to except the good practicing families so, yeah and there's a question i want to ask about but before i ask that so you're all involved in catholic edu- education um is the point of a catholic school um, I'm going to load this question. Is it to create engineers or create saints? Can I say yes and no? Yeah, of course. Of course <laughs> so, you know. so yeah, of course what you I mean know. is yes to create, uh, create engineers, but create engineers who are saints. I think that's it. When we, we we'll speak about this, I think yeah. further. But when we we started our our mission to found a Catholic school against the tide of secularism. And in a very peculiar time in the world's history in 2020, one of the things that we agreed on, the first thing that we wrote down on a blank piece of paper was exactly that, that uh, we wanted a, a school that was Catholic, but one that promoted Catholic spirituality to push young people towards sainthood, to make the saints of tomorrow. But for a Catholic school to really exist, it has to be both Catholic and a school that academics have to be uncompromising in terms of pushing and inspiring young people to try the best that they can, whether they achieve that or not, at least uh, everybody has a different academic level if it's a non-selective school, as ours was. But the uh, that has to be reinforced by the faith. So I think the two things aren't mutually exclusive. No, they're, they're not, and as Father Simon said. But is that not one of the things that's happened? That... People, Catholic schools use the excuse that they're in competition with public schools, secular schools, and so they they begin to draw. And I, I'm not saying if it's real or not, but this is sometimes what I hear that they're they're not pushing the the religious things, um, but they want to have really high academic standards. I think what's happened is comes back to a point that we mentioned just a little bit earlier is that now that Catholic schools, as with the experience of Father Market University, are opened up to non-Catholics, right, and that's my, waters down the. Field. That was going to be my second question, yeah. and I maybe address this to um, to Father Mark because of where his diocese um, Muslims seek out Catholic schools in, in England. Is that right? Well, yes, that's what I've read. At the risk of raising. Raising the the race question, uh, it's certainly true that in certain parts of Britain that have high Muslim populations, some of the indigenous white people decide to send their children to a Catholic school because they know that because it's a Catholic school, it's not going to have any Muslims. Ergo, no, no um, uh, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, or whatever. So they're making a decision based upon their own prejudices. Now, there could be, I'm not, when I say prejudice, I don't necessarily mean racist. It could just be that you want your children to be in a class full of people who speak English and not in a full of people whose, whose first language is Urdu. So, 
So they make, parents make this decision and then they come around and they try to go to either a Catholic school or a Church of England school. The Church of England, which is the, the Protestant uh, established church in in It's actually a state Wales. church, isn't it? Yes, it's, yeah. it's the established church. Yeah. It belongs to... They have a, a limited number of schools. They do not have anything near the number of schools that the Catholic Church does, but they do have some Church of England schools. And the people try to get their children into those schools if they're trying to avoid having their classes full of uh, non, non-English But I, I'd also, I had read that because of, although it's not great, the moral standards and certain things that are taught in Catholic schools that Muslims well, that, actually that's why try to get their children is, in. This kind of problem is, is going away, in, in the, the racist sense, is going away because, because the, a lot of Muslims who can't go to their own schools are trying to find Church of England and Catholic schools where that will be more in line with, with their worldview uh, rather than with the kind of wokeism that goes on. I think some of that's moved on now. There was a time when, because there was a relig- it was a religious school, um, uh, non, non-Catholic fight Muslims that were seeking out some sort of school where faith had a, you know, I think a, God, a, God got mentioned. God yeah. was, yeah. was mentioned. It was a role that they would seek out Catholic school and you would have perhaps one or two or three Muslim children in a Catholic school for that for that reason, but now those Muslim communities have grown and are perhaps uh, very numerous in particular places, and so there are so many of them there now that they the local state school has become de facto a mu- almost a hundred percent Muslim school because just because that's everyone right. that lives around there is a Muslim. And so they, they, okay. they don't need to send those children if they seek out the capital. Well, can we talk, talk about Sorry, go ahead. No, I just think that what you're possibly alluding to, and might be incorrect, is that there is, uh, because it, and maybe it's wearing out a little bit now, but there is a certain cachet about going to a Catholic school. I think within England and Wales, it is true that, is that true. people search and, out. And in America, that is yeah. often the case that, that people, I think people, that, people are under the perception that they get a, a better education. And I think there's a disconnect, a generational disconnect, perhaps, and uh, we can discuss this in the broader concept about a lost generation. But when I look, for example, to my grandfather, who's uh, of Irish descent, went to a very good, strong Catholic school, had education up until 14 years old, taught by the nuns and speaks about the faith in the 1920s, 30s and 40s, his understanding of the faith is so deeply ingrained. Just last night, his prayers before bed are prayers that he learned at school. And they're very Catholic and they're very orthodox. And he has a very simplistic, in the best sense, view of the Catholic faith that asks no more and no less. It asks you to be Catholic. And his, and this perhaps is something that we talk about from the 19th, end of the 1960s onwards, his understanding of the faith and why he was able to uh, accept and see some of the changes that were going on in society and within the church is because his faith, the formation in the faith that he got at school and home was so strong. And then now we have a generation of, of Catholic leaders, so-called, within schools who didn't have that same foundation. And so they're trying to transmit a faith that they don't know. So, so um, can I ask it all about, um, we've kind of alluded to it, but um, so Father Mark, you you saw this probably as it was beginning to be indoctrinated and now it's happening very much. Um, 
comparative religious religions in Catholic schools. And why is that a problem? Well, because because you can't, you know, because it would seem it would seem to people, what's what's really good for us to know about Jews. It's it really good for us to know is. about Buddha and Islam, and and it is. <clears throat> and in the same way, to use an, to go by analogy, uh, in America, because it's our audience, um, you expect your children to learn American history. You don't expect them only to learn American history because American history will have to include, uh, even if it's just by opposition. If you want to talk about American history, you have to talk about about Great Britain because the, the, there's there's the whole business there. You can't talk about one without the other at some level. So there's no problem in in uh, in talking about other religions or not even to go as far as Protestantism, for example. There's no reason why we should, we don't talk about these things and don't get people to some understanding. We need to have a proper understanding of Judaism because that's where we came from. But as as the great Fulton Sheen once said, there may be such things as comparative religions, but Christianity isn't one of them. It's not comparable with anything. And so the idea of, the, the way of putting it forward that these are the options you have in religion, these you can have this religion or that religion, and, and they're all the same really, even though we kind of believe us would, a bit better. Like talking about Catholicism as a denomination, we are not a denomination. Yes, which is, why we, which is why the Catholic Church would never join the World Council of Churches, because it would give this idea that we were just one of many. So comparative religion isn't, isn't a problem if it's properly taught by proper Catholic teachers in a proper context and, and, and in a proper way. Because what you'd be doing then is, is basically looking at why uh, the the faith is it's not that the faith is superior in the in that sense of we, we, us the better religion because again that's we're not choosing McDonald's over Burger King we're we're saying that uh, one is true and the others are not true uh, and or they are like like uh, the Protestant religion the Protestant faiths are true to an extent there are bits of truth but the truth belongs to the Catholic Church. The truths that are true in 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 these religions are, do not belong to those religions. They belong to the Catholic Church. Uh, but that's so offensive, Father. I know that's the problem. And the same with Judaism. We could we Matthew and I have a great friend who's who's uh, who's Jewish, and we we get we great we get on very well. But we don't pretend that 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 we're all the same. You know, our our faith and his faith are are very similar in many many ways because our faith grew out of that faith but his is an uncompleted religion and therefore we need to be honest about that but you'd need to know something about Judaism to be a Christian you also need to know something about Judaism to be able to explain why Christianity is is the is the fulfillment of Judaism so I, I'm none of us would be against comparative religion but we're against how it's sometimes sold and it's something we need to be very careful about and and uh and and uh we need, people need to be as uh, there's that wonderful song from uh, from uh, South Pacific, like Rogers and Hammerstein, and it's talking about racism. And it says, ironically, it says people need to be carefully taught to be racists. You know, you don't just doesn't happen accidentally. Yeah, and it's the same about Christianity. Yeah. You have to be carefully taught. You can't. It doesn't just happen. We can't expect that people that our kids will just become Catholic because you're a Catholic and that they'll understand the faith just because you understand it. it has to be taught. Yeah. And that's so, a fundamental. Father Simon, in your 30 years, is that have you seen, uh, if we can call it that, the fruits of what Father Mark was seeing taught 
Have you seen that when you're dealing, as you went through, because you said at first, like when you had the, the school where um, Matthew was, that was still very Catholic. And have you gradually seen, um, you're speaking to teachers and it's as if you're from a different planet? It is. I think what's happened is that in teaching about comparative religion, for, for example, that that's fine as a subject, but that same mentality where you are simply examining these different religions as matters of, of fact so that you will understand them, mm. it's almost as though that mentality, which is a secular mentality, has seeped into the rest of the school so that it's not just in that one class that everything is just another... Everything's, everything's up for discussion. A comparative yeah. religion. Yeah. Everything else is as well. Whereas, and, and that's where you lose the... In this country, what's often spoken of is, is the Catholic ethos in a school. Quite what that is, is... Well, we've, we've seen that. Vague. It, but in Britain and in America, you see this, this watering down of the faith where... A school describe a school or a university will just now describe itself as in the Franciscan tradition, in the Jesuit tradition. What they really mean is that's who founded it. They don't mean that they hold the same truths and the teaching yeah. the same yeah. way. Yes, there's a big Catholic high school in Liverpool, um, Saint Dominic Salvio High yes, School. Yeah, uh-huh. but it's no longer. It's rebranded. It's not Saint Dominic Salvio High School anymore. It's just Salvio High School. You've lost the saint. You've lost the. You've lost the. The, the public proclamation of that it's just it's in the uh, it's in the it's, tradition it's in the passionist tradition or whatever i think that from uh, an institutional perspective i think leadership is is critical and i think this certainly from my experience over the last 15 years of working with independent schools in particular in the uk but overseas um when you have well-formed catholic leaders you have good schools, good Catholic mm-hmm. schools producing mm-hmm. good Catholic students. When you have badly formed Catholic leaders, that filters down through the teaching staff, through the support staff, through the, what's being delivered. In the United Kingdom, in the curriculum, when you look at the, the curriculum approved by the government, there is less, uh, I suppose, less desire in the United Kingdom unlike in America, to follow an alternative curriculum, which are widely uh, available. Uh, um, Mata Dei, for example, the wonderful curriculum developed in, in America is, is very good, but there's not that same desire for, for change or for renewal of the curriculum because fundamental to the principles in the United Kingdom is still a Christian ethos. And if you read anything from the government concerning education, it provides such a broad scope for including elements of the Catholic faith I think this is one of my big frustrations with what's going on in the UK in, from a school perspective, is that unlike, as we've experienced in France, unlike uh, France and, and, and other countries in Europe, in the United Kingdom, there is a Christian-centric approach to education that exists, and that is encouraged, and that is written down. So in paper, it's still there, it still protects a Christian approach to things. Unfortunately, that's badly interpreted. One of the things that happened in 2012 in terms of educational reform was this movement from the comprehensive school that I went to, and I have uh, my own personal experience, to the academization of schools uh, in the diocese, I think, where Father Mark was uh, for a while in the South. 
um, there was a movement. Every one of the Catholic schools overnight almost became an academy. That was supposed to give a certain level of autonomy and additional funding from the government, ironically. That was a wonderful opportunity to really stamp, just as you have Jewish schools in, in England and Wales, to stamp the Catholic identity back onto schools because it gave you great flexibility, not carte blanche to do what you like, but great flexibility to really uber-Catholicize schools. Mm. That was possible, just as you can in independent schools. And I think it was an opportunity missed. Okay, now we're getting to the end of this programme, so that's terrific. That leads us in, that's almost like a segue, into what we're going to to talk about um, in the the next programme, where we, for different reasons, I would imagine, or by accident or something like that, that you all saw um, there was something wrong with Catholic education and tried in different ways to, to address it, whether it be, as Father Simon's always been doing all these priests did, with chipping away until you get so jaundiced. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but we can talk about this in the, in the next hour. Uh, and then you eventually you embarked upon a somewhat radical thing of forming uh, a Catholic school, which was um, no easy thing, I'm imagining. And, um, and it's... It's in France, which is um, kind of, you've all alluded to, uh, has some problems in regard to its dealing with the, with the Catholic Church. So uh, next next programme, we'll be, I'll be sitting down with the same three men and we'll be talking about um, maybe some suggestions, Matthew's just said that there, about a general way that these some of these things should be a, a, approached. I think maybe Father Simon could, also share with us some advice for people who are school chaplains, some basic things to tr- to try, and I'm sure um, Father Mark will have some of them as as well, and guidance. But the most important message to to um, parents out there and grandparents is that there are good Catholic educational places out there, and there are people, um, lay people and priests, who are trying to make sure that the next generation knows the faith and learns. How old is your grandfather again? Uh, 95. Yes, that the, he, the people of that generation, not be the last ones to know those prayers by, ins- by instinct. So let's end with uh, the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom, kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with you And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. You can listen again to this or any other episode of Let's Talk Catholic at our blog, Let's Talk Catholic Podcast.blogspot.com, or you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or almost any other podcast provider. Excellent.